Well, good morning, everyone. Glad you're all here today. Please take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 6 today for our study, John chapter 6, as we continue our survey through the Gospel of John. John chapter 6. And as you're turning there, just a few reminders. We, as we mentioned, we've got our kickoff Sunday next Sunday. You don't want to miss that. Uh, and by the way, uh, feel free to wear your favorite sports gear that day for kickoff Sunday. Uh, I might be wearing something with the Packers. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, believe me, I'm very delighted that Aaron's now gone. He's gone. We got rid of that guy. So we should be a lot better now. But uh, not only that, uh, again, there'll be food, and uh, we're also having the baptism service. And if you've never publicly proclaimed your faith in Christ, uh, you've never been baptized um, through believer's baptism, please sign that card. Make sure we get that, because we'd love for you to be a part of that opportunity this next coming Sunday. So here we are. We're in John's Gospel. We're in chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Uh, of course, we all know there's probably a lot more than just 5,000 that were there. But uh, we pick up the account in verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to, to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, Well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. May the Lord add his blessing at the hearing and the reading of his word this morning. Well, I'm sure many of you have gone on a first date and by the way, I'd get to be able to be with you, which would be awesome. So uh, I decided, I know, we're going to we'll go out to dinner beforehand. I'll show her a great time. We'll go see this movie that's kind of a big downer. But anyway, uh, I don't recommend it. It's super long, and it's, 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 it's not very pleasant in a lot of places. 
So, but anyway, we go out to dinner, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty excited about, I take her to a nice steak place, right, you know, and we're having great conversation, we're connecting, we're talking, and uh, we order steak, and the first thing that alarmed me as we're ordering steak is after the steak came, uh, well, she had ordered filet mignon. Oh, I thought, wow, she's pretty sophisticated. And then she asked me to ask the waiter to bring some ketchup. I was like, <laughs> ketchup? Now, her ex- explanation for that was she grew up on a farm, and she was used to farm, you know, raised beef, and so this filet mignon was tainted and needed some ketchup to help it. So, okay, I'll give you that. At the end of the meal, you know, I left my tip on the table and went to go pay the clerk on her way out the door, and I came to realize in that moment that I didn't know if I had enough money to pay the bill and still have enough to go to the movie. So I turned to Kathy, I said, hey, do you, it wasn't much. Do you have a couple dollars? Do you have just a couple dollars on you? She goes, no, I don't have anything. Oh, no. I then snuck back to the table and I took the tip back off <laughs> and then went and paid the bill and... And she still married me. I don't know what that's about. But sometimes you just don't have enough, do you? We just don't have enough. Here's where we can turn to Jesus. Why? Because he knows our weaknesses. He knows we don't have enough. He understands our wayward hearts. He understands our impatience. He understands our arrogance. He understands our lack of devotion to him. The reality is we don't have to be afraid even when things look scary. And as we will see today, we we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to make sure we are in the boat with Jesus. He knows our motivations. We need to strive after spiritual nourishment. Spiritual food from Jesus will never spoil. It's enduring. It's free of charge. And by the way, spiritual food from Jesus is really, ultimately, the only thing on the menu. We simply need to believe in Jesus. Again, we're in the midst of a sermon series, a message series entitled, That You May Believe. Today's focus, doing the work of God. We're looking at John's gospel, written by John, perhaps the very best friend of Jesus throughout the course of his earthly ministry. John gives us his purpose for writing this book in John 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Today I have seven spiritual principles I want to share with you from this passage that are just awesome. Before we study, let's ask God's help. Would you please pray with me? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for this brief moment in time where we can look to your word and hear what you have to say. And Lord, that's precisely what we want to be about. We, we want to hear from you today, not from this speaker. Lord, I'm not worthy of these things. But Lord, you've given these things to us that we might believe, that we might know you more fully, that we might walk with you. So Lord, open our eyes to see what you have for us today. Help us not to miss anything, knowing that each one is here by your sovereign hand for your purposes. Thank you, Lord. We pray all this in your son's wonderful and awesome name. Amen. Now, just a reminder, we will be having communion at the end of our service, and 
There is a gluten-free option out on the Connect Center, and if you're watching at home today, uh, we encourage you to get some, some bread and some juice, and you can join us for communion later in our service today. But here's the first truth. If you have your sermon notes outlined, here's what's true. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Notice what it says in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. First of all here, Jesus understands our wayward hearts. It says perceiving. Jesus is perceptive. He understands what's going on in the inside of us. He's perceptive. He, he knows what we're all about. He knows what you are all about. He knows your fears. He knows your foibles. He knows that you struggle with your faith. And yet he continues to demonstrate compassion on us, which is so incredibly needed and remarkable. He understands our wayward hearts. He's perceptive. But secondly, he understands our impatience. Notice what the text said, that they were about to come and take him by force. The people, were they just saw what happened. He just fed everybody. We should make this guy king. There's two things that Jesus had to wrestle with throughout his earthly ministry that he had to kind of keep a temperature on. One was the possibility that crowds might make him king too soon or that the crowds might turn on him and kill him. And so he has to balance this out. That's why so often you'll hear him say after he heals somebody, don't tell anybody. You know, we got to kind of put a lid on this a little bit. But he understands our impatience. They were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Again, we want things the way we want them, and oftentimes we want them now. Have it your way right away, right, Burger King says. We want our burger, and we want our fries with it now. In essence, the Israelites were saying, we want our king, and we want a king now. Like the Jews of old Americans don't like to wait very much. Now, I was very blessed with a fantastic father, but my dad had the gift of impatience. And it was, it was something else. It's uh, not uncommon in terms of any line you ever got into with my dad, you'd hear the phrase, what's the holdup? was the deal. And one day, I remember years ago, I was with him and I hear the phrase, what's the holdup? I said, Dad, Dad, you know, life's going by fast enough as it is without us hurrying it along. He's got it. Jesus understands our impatience here. These people were impatient to have a king and to make Jesus their king immediately. But thirdly, he understands our arrogance. Think about this, that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. And who were these people to make Jesus anything? As human beings, we have had a tendency to try to invent gods, even after our own image. We want God to be God on our terms and not on his. Well, I want the kind of king that feeds me all the time. That's awesome. In our minds, we attempt to bend God to our way of thinking, trying to bend him to our will. Beloved, we have no right to do this. In the horrible rock album Jethro Tull put together, entitled Aqualung in 1971, I, just want, to, I want you to hear some lyrics that are outright blasphemous. 
You go, why is pastor sharing blasphemy? I, I want you to hear it to understand the contrast of what we're dealing with here today. This is what Jethro told wrote. In the beginning, man created God. What? And in the image of man created he him. And man gave unto God a multitude of names that he might be Lord of all the earth when it was suited to man. And on the seventh millionth day, man rested and did lean heavily on his God and saw that it was good. Do you see how messed up that is? That's from the pit of hell. But this is who we are. We want to create our own God and have, him, have it be our way. Unfortunately, this way of thinking is way too common in our world today. Beloved, we have no right to attempt to redefine God or create him after our own image or our own corrupt expectations and delusions. Oh, how arrogant of us. We need to stick with God's revelation concerning himself through how he has chosen to reveal himself through his written word, the Bible, and through all that he has made in creation, as the Apostle Paul clearly outlines in Romans 1. We're just so arrogant. We're, we are arrogant enough to think that we can create a better God than who he is. How dare we? Jesus knows our weaknesses. He understands our wayward hearts. He understands our impatience. He understands our arrogance. Fourthly here, he understands our lack of devotion to him. Sometimes we feign devotion. But here we see a beautiful picture of Jesus' devotion it said in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. What do we see Jesus doing? Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. As you read the Gospels, Jesus is constantly going off by himself to spend time with his heavenly father. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, that we would have the same kind of devotion. I'm kind of thinking, you, gee whiz, if, if Jesus is demonstrating his dependency on his heavenly father, how much more so do we need to, right? He demonstrates his dependence on his heavenly father in an ongoing way. He understands our wayward hearts, our impatience, our arrogance, our lack of devotion to him, and yet he loves us anyway, which is so absolutely amazing. But secondly, this morning, this morning we don't have to be afraid even when things look scary. In verse 16, we read, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, from where they were, if they were on the west side, we think near Tiberias, to go to Capernaum, they're going to be heading basically northeast. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. One of the questions I have here is, why did these guys leave without Jesus? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But the sea has become rough now because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, so they're not near the shore, so whatever they're going to see here isn't something they saw on the shoreline, three to four miles out, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, hit his eye, do not be afraid. It's interesting, in both Matthew and Mark's gospel, it says that they thought they were seeing a ghost. Again, it doesn't take very long for any of us to begin fearing things. It doesn't take long for fear to, to set in for us, does it? Our circumstances change and things start to look scary. And so we begin to create worlds in our minds that do not exist and likely never will. And then we move into those worlds, these fig newtons of our imagination, right? 
We move into these worlds and begin living in them as if they're real. And then fear overruns our minds based on the speculation of what we have imagined. Fear is usually based in fiction. It's fiction that we've manufactured for ourselves. Fear is usually based in fictions that we've manufactured for ourselves. Rather, we need to live our lives in sober reality, trusting God. Isaiah 35, verses 3 and 4, the great prophet writes, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the, the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. The question is, will we trust him in that? Will we wait on him for that? Be strong, fear not. In 1 John 4, 18, John, the author of the same gospel, reminds us there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And here's what we know, that our God loves us with a perfect love through Christ, his Son. And because of the love that we have from him, we don't have to be afraid of anything, ever, for any reason. He's got it. Will you rest in him? Jesus has the kind of love for us that removes all of our fears, if we'd only trust him. But thirdly here this morning, we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And you go, okay, that's great. I like that idea. But where is that in this text? Ah, it's not in this text. It's in a companion text. It's in Matthew 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along. Matthew 14, verse 26. I'll put it up on the screen for you. But you can also follow along. In Matthew's account of this event, here's what we hear. In verse 26 of Matthew 14, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And it's kind of, even if you're Peter, you might be thinking, oh, don't get out of the boat. <laughs> That's a bad idea. But Jesus says, hey, come on, all right, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, what? He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Which, by the way, that's the thing you cry out. That's what you should cry out. Save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Again, there's a lot of speculation as to why the information about Peter getting out of the boat only appears in Matthew's gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, only Matthew's gospel has it. And we kind of go, oh, I wonder why. Why is it only Matthew talks about Peter getting out of the boat with this circumstance? Of course, John was there, but doesn't mention it at all in the likelihood because an anecdote about Peter really didn't further his discussion point that you would believe in Jesus. In other words, I don't want to tell a story about Peter right now. I'm talking about Jesus and how you should believe in him. Of course, Luke wasn't there. He doesn't mention Jesus walking on the water at all. 
John Mark in his gospel, the gospel of Mark, you have to understand for John Mark, Peter is John Mark's hero. We believe that John Mark actually, what makes up the book of Mark is John Mark's understanding of Peter's teaching in Rome about Jesus. Of course, Peter's probably not talking too much about the fact that he sunk one day. And so John Mark, oh, you're my hero. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to spill that one about that problem you had when you sunk and when you got out of the boat. A little embarrassing. So turns out it's Matthew who rats him out, right? Matthew would have been an eyewitness. He was there. He saw the event. He saw the whole thing. And he puts it in the account, and now we have it. By the way, we do need to give some credit to Peter. He is the only guy who gets out of the boat. No one else got out of the boat with Jesus, but Peter did. But the main point here is that Peter only did well as he kept his eyes on Jesus. The minute he starts looking around at his circumstances, not keeping his eye on Jesus, did he begin to sink and then cry out, Lord, save me. We, too, need to keep our eyes only on him, no matter how terrifying our circumstances. We've all been there. We've all been through the horrible thing that's coming at us, the relationship that's gone south, a pending divorce, a child who's rebelled, gone their own way, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, And we start to look around and go, hey! And we start sinking. When we should be keeping our eyes on him. Focusing only on him. Because he is the only solution to all of it. He is all that we need. He is all that we desire. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. But fourthly here, we need to make sure that we are in the boat with Jesus. In verse 21, it says, Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I really don't know what the end of that phrase means. Like, like the boat was there. I I don't know. But they, they took him into the boat. And the question this morning is, is Jesus in your boat? Or, or rather, are you in the boat with Jesus? That's probably the better way of saying that. Now, I'm sure some of you have probably heard of the great Blondin. Anybody heard of the great Blondin? Maybe the great Walendas, but have you heard of the great Blondin? Well, the great Blondin was this uh, acrobatic guy back in the 1850s, a little dated way back there. He had a tightwire act. A tightwire act, okay? And he set up a tightwire across Niagara Falls. Cool. And he had a little wheelbarrow with a big long pole on it, so he could kind of go out there and do this. He's, he's walking the tightrope, right? And people from miles around came and they're just cheering. <sighs> right? So one day he decides to address the crowd and he starts talking to everybody. And he had carried a huge sack of potatoes in his wheelbarrow, apparently. And he addresses the crowd and says, Hey, how many of you think I could carry most anything in my wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? <sighs> they all cheer. How many of you think I could probably carry a man in my wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? <sighs> and there's one guy up front who was really excited and he was cheering as loud as anybody else. And you, sir, in the wheelbarrow. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
I'm out. You see, he had an intellectual assent, right? Uh, he saw what he could do. He was even emotionally involved. He, he had an emotional assent. He's cheering with everybody else. But by an act of his will, he would not get in the wheelbarrow, would he? It's just like us. By the way, I'd like to remind you, without Christ, you're out on the tightrope. <laughs> with Christ, you're finally going to step on solid ground. See, we got it all backwards in our economy. It's, it's no different than, I need a stool here. Sorry, Jeff, I'm going to move your stuff. So, I come up to you and go, I'm going to have a seat now. I'm going to sit down. No, I'm going to sit. Really, I'm sitting. Am I sitting yet? No, really. Here, I'll go this way. Am I going to, am I, I'm, going to, I'm having a seat. I'm having a great seat here. Have I sat down yet? No, I'm really relaxed, pretty comfortable sitting here. This is a great spot. No, it's not until I, oh, now I'm sitting. I got to, I, I've got to give in. I've got to submit to the chair. And that's the deal with following Christ. I have to submit to him. I have to give myself entirely to him. I, I, not just feigning like I'm going to, well, yeah, I might, no. I'm in. I'm with him by an act of my will as he draws me to himself. Revelation 3.20, John writes, again, the same author who wrote this book that we're studying. John writes of Jesus' words. Jesus says to all of us, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He's knocking. Have you opened the door? I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Is your door open to Jesus? John wrote earlier in John 1.12, as we studied before, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him by faith as your Savior? Have you believed only on his name? Just as these men received Jesus into their boat, we need to receive Jesus into our hearts by faith. We need to get into the wheelbarrow. We need to take a seat. But fifthly today, Jesus knows our motivations, right? He's perceptive. He perceives. He knows. In verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Again, that just took place previously in this chapter. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boats and went to Capernaum. They go northeast, seeking after Jesus. Where did he go? And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They never saw him go. Jesus answered them. Here comes the punchline here. Truly, truly, amen, amen. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. So be it, so be it, he says. I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of, of the loaves. You just want another lunch. That's why you're here. Jesus knows our motivations. And I ask you, why are you here today? 
are you really seeking after him? Or are you perhaps placating somebody else's desires? Are you just looking for lunch? What will happen when the physical is not satisfied? Israel in the wilderness grumbled against God concerning the manna they received from Moses' hand. They were never satisfied. Beloved, true satisfaction cannot come through the physical this side of eternity. Why? Because all flesh is corrupt. Careful here. There, there are real physical pleasures this side of eternity that speak with incredible power and persuasion, but they cannot be pursued as a means to an end. The physical cannot ultimately satisfy. It can't. It wasn't designed to do that. It wasn't designed by God to ultimately satisfy. That is why we all need spiritual nourishment. Only God's presence will ultimately satisfy. Sadly, we don't really believe this. So we keep trying to satisfy ourselves in unsatisfying ways. Yeah, we've all been there. I'll, I'll do this. I'll try to get another hit. I'll try to... No. Maybe a different career. Maybe, maybe another lottery ticket. Maybe one more drink. That'll make the difference. And it never satisfies. How many people are there who are experiencing all sorts of temporal pleasures and yet they are empty and starving on the inside? Are you starving spiritually this morning? Don't come after him to merely fill your own selfish appetites. Don't seek after him just to have another lunch. Rather, come to the never-ending banquet who is Christ. That's where we need to end up. That's where we need to go. But sixthly here, as we move towards the end of this discussion today, we need to strive after spiritual nourishment. Again, we, we often strive for the wrong things, for the wrong reasons. But we need to strive after spiritual nourishment. Notice what Jesus says as he follows this, this up, this idea. He points out that spiritual food from Jesus will never spoil. Do not work for the food that perishes. Don't work. Don't try to go grab the thing that's not going to last anyway. I don't know about you guys, but we have this thing called a refrigerator in our house. You have a refrigerator? And we have a, this drawer on the bottom. You have one of those drawers on the bottom that you put stuff in. You wait five weeks, and then it's all bad. You throw it all out. You know, we call it the rotter. It's the rotter. You have a rotter? I've got it. We got one. It's that place where food goes to die. And how often is it that we're dining on that which is rotting away that can't satisfy? And we keep looking in there going, oh, come on, there's got to be something in here. <laughs> Just chuck it. Let's start over. Let's start over with Jesus. We need spiritual food from Jesus that will never spoil. Secondly, spiritual food from Jesus is enduring. We need to be working for the food that endures to eternal life. It never fails. It always satisfies. Thirdly, spiritual food from Jesus is free of charge. If you like a good deal, this is it. No cost. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. There it is. Free, it's yours. Really? There's got to be a trick to that. No. I'm just, I just want to give it to you. It's all yours. 
You know, it's nice when someone takes care of you, isn't it? You're out to dinner and someone picks up the check. Isn't that nice? I love picking up the check for people when I can. I want to be a blessing to people. Here, Jesus longs to be a blessing to us as he freely gives his life to us. In the process, he gives us life in himself through faith in Christ. Isaiah 55, the great prophet Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Are you hearing that? Come buy, doesn't cost any money. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? This is exactly what we're talking about here. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David, God says. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in the rich food from God. Spiritual food from Jesus will never spoil it ever endures. It's free of charge. Fourthly here, spiritual fruit from Jesus is the only thing on the menu. For on him, Jesus says, for on him, you can almost say, see Jesus gesticulating to himself, for on him, on who? The son of man. For on him, God the Father has sent his seal. God has only set his seal on Jesus. He's the only thing on the menu. God has not set his seal on anyone else. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, not the Dalai Lama, not Moses, not the Pope, not Confucius, not Joseph Smith, not Sun Myung Moon, and not L. Ron Hubbard, not Joe Biden, and not Donald Trump. Sorry. The seal's on Jesus. God has set his seal only on him. Acts 4.12, Peter says, there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only thing on the menu. Paul writes to Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So with all this being said, the conclusion of the matter is that we would simply believe. Lastly today, we simply need to believe in Jesus because that's where this ends up. And the, the, the people are kind of amazed hearing his teaching and they are kind of freaking out. In verse 28, they said to him, well, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? Well, what do we got to do? And Jesus basically makes it very clear, this has nothing to do with your doing. This has to do with your being. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. So we have this idea that the minute we talk about doing, well, I better follow the 10 commandments, I better do this. I don't know about you, but I can't keep all that stuff very well. Can't do it very well, very long. This is why I desperately need a savior. This is why I need Jesus. It's the only way I'm ever gonna do anything. By the way, here's what I know is true. Those who truly believe, they'll most certainly do. They will. 
Those who really don't believe, they won't do. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too complicated. If you truly believe, you'll most certainly do. Again, there are those who'll try to feign it, try to, you know, maybe get lunch for the day out of Jesus. But those who truly believe will most certainly follow Christ in righteousness and holiness. The true mark of a true believer is a changed life. No real change, no real life change, no real faith, no real repentance. That is, if you haven't really turned from the direction you were going toward Christ, then there's really no real faith. It's not very complicated. I've seen this throughout my ministry. There'll be one guy who follows Christ and awesome things take place. Doesn't mean they don't still have difficulty, but man, all of a sudden they have direction, they have purpose, they have meaning. Another person who might even feign it, might feign walking with Christ, and it's a train wreck and a disaster. I've seen it. Where are you that you may believe doing the work of God? You know, my dad always had enough. Whenever we'd go out to dinner with my dad my mom, my dad always had his credit card out, ready to cover the dinner. There was even no discussion. Hey, Dad, can I? No, I got it. He always covered the bill. For me, as his son, I could always rest in that knowledge that he would always take care of us no matter what out of the abundance of his resources. But we need to understand that Jesus is the ultimate resource. And he is the one who can ultimately satisfy no matter what, even when I don't have enough to cover the bill for my first date. (laughs) He can handle it all. Why? Because he knows our weaknesses We don't have to be afraid even when things look scary. We need to keep our eyes on him. We need to make sure we are in the boat with Jesus. Jesus knows our motivations. We need to strive after spiritual nourishment, after food that will endure. We simply need to believe in Jesus. My questions for you as we close today, have you put your faith and trust in him? Have you gotten into the wheelbarrow? Have you taken a seat? He knows what you're longing for. He knows what will fill and satisfy you even better than you do. And you go, well, how could he know that? Well, he's the one who made you. He knows everything about you. As we come to the Lord's table today, I just want to remind you of that Isaiah 55 passage again. God says to us through the prophet Isaiah, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Are you tired of not being satisfied? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, God says. Hear that your soul may live and I'll make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. 
as we come to the Lord's table, I hope you come in faith. Here at Oakwood Bible Church, we have an open communion table. By this is meant that all those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior are so very welcome to participate in the two simple elements of the bread and the cup. The bread which represents the broken body of Christ on your behalf and full payment of all your sin. And the cup which represents his shed blood that washes us clean. To such a degree we're now given the righteousness of Christ. So those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, we invite you to join us. If you have children with you today, make sure they understand the gospel. Make sure that they've made a profession of faith. If they haven't made a profession of faith, let the elements pass until such time as they understand so they can participate with what they understand and uh, it can be meaningful to them as well. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians issues this admonition to all who consider partaking in the bread and the cup. He writes, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself, Paul writes. In this warning, there are really two potential concerns. The first is this idea of partaking in an unworthy manner. Perhaps you have professed Christ as your Savior in the past, but are currently living in outright sinful rebellion against him. If this is the case, I encourage you to examine your heart before God before partaking in something that you are holding in contempt with how you are living right now. If you're not willing to make things right with him in this moment, if you're not willing to repent, then I would encourage you to let the elements pass until such time as you've made things right with God in your heart. But better yet today would be that you would make things right with God right now through confession, repentance, and commitment. And then we invite you to join us in this remembrance. The other possibility is maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ. Perhaps you've never given your life to Christ. If this is the case, I encourage you to let the elements pass as a witness to you. If you haven't given your life to Christ, we don't want to ask you to participate in something that you don't even believe. That would be hypocritical. We don't, we don't want you to go against your own convictions. But even better would be for you to turn away from the direction you've been going in your life and turn to faith in Christ for your salvation right now in this moment. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart and life right now. Don't wait a moment longer. And then please freely join us in this remembrance. You're so welcome to come dine with us at this table. As the elements of the bread and cup are passed, please note that both elements are contained in two cups that are stacked together. So make sure you get both cups. As we prepare to partake of the bread and the cup together, please hold both elements as you are served. We will then thank the Lord for the bread and the cup separately. So at this time, I'd like to invite the elders to come forward to serve. And as they come, please take this time of preparation to be in prayer, examining your own heart before God, seeking his forgiveness and deliverance, renewing your commitment to him, and remembering with thanksgiving his sacrifice for you on the cross as he paid your penalty for all of your sins once and for all. Closer service. As a reminder, there is a brief meeting, about 10 minutes, uh, right here in the sanctuary to discuss the little property sale. And uh, hopefully, if you're a member, you can stay. If you want to listen in to the discussion, happy to have you too. But uh, let's thank the Lord for today.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that we can worship you and walk with you. Lord, we thank you that uh, you've invited us to, to dine at the table, to dine at your table that you've freely given to us at no cost. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible goodness and grace. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, we ask that you would use us for your purposes to touch hearts and lives, to reach out to our friends and family, encourage them, that they too can know the King. They too can be forgiven. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for this service. We give you all the praise. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great rest of your day.